Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Inflation surging to the highest level in 40 years in June to 9.1%. Is this the peak or will it go higher? The U.S. debt is so high that it's almost like every man, woman and child across America owes $91,000. What can be done to reduce it? Google slowing hiring for the rest of this year. What's the CEO's message to employees? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. The new inflation report is out. Consumer prices rose 9.1% in the past 12 months, setting yet another 40-year high. Where's the peak and how will the Fed respond? NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. The latest inflation number, 9.1% in June. This is up from 8.6% in May and a new four-decade high. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says the increase was broad, with food, gas, and shelter contributing the most. Gas prices rose 11.2%, food rose 1%, and shelter 0.6%. It's a very bad report. Robert Janetsky is the president of economic consulting firm Classical Principles. Janetsky believes this may be the peak. By the fall, I believe we will see inflation coming down. There are signs that the rate of spending has slowed in the economy. We're no longer increasing spending at a double-digit 10% or 12% annual rate. Uh, And that's the key to holding inflation down. And, of course, the Fed is trying to do its part to undo the damage that it already did. Janetsky believes we may see a rate hike of three-quarters of a percent or even a full percentage point by the end of July. The Fed already decided on a hike of three-quarters of a percent back in June. I think we are actually moving into the right direction to contain inflation. Ten Pao Lee is a professor of economics at Niagara University. Lee also thinks this is the peak. reason is because uh, uh, right now uh, oil price is uh, under control and uh, uh, COVID-19 is also uh, gradually uh, diminished uh, its impacts. Lee believes inflation is under control and that the Fed should focus on making a soft landing by raising rates by half a percentage point instead of three quarters. Fed Chair Jerome Powell says both 50 and 75 basis point increases are on the table. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. The hot inflation data is fueling fears that the Fed could be more aggressive in hiking rates. But with higher rates and our national debt at a record $30 trillion, the federal government would have to pay much more in interest. NTD's Dan Ma talks to Vance Ginn about how he got here and what's the solution. Ginn was the chief budget office economist in the Trump administration. And here with us is Vance Ginn. He's a former associate director for economic policy of management and budget. Now he's the chief economist at Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thanks for joining us, Vance. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk about the debt situation here in the U.S. You know, CPI is now 9.1%. No doubt that's going to make the Fed more aggressive. You know, however, Vance, for every half a percentage point rate increase by the Fed, it's going to add over $100 billion in debt servicing costs annually. Are we stuck between a rock and a hard place? Well, I think that the... Uh, the Fed and Congress is overspending. 
the Fed's overprinting of money has put us into this place, in this position where we're having rapid inflation, the highest inflation rate in 40 years. So we need more aggressive interest rate increases. I think it's something that we have to do, uh, but because of the bad of bad policies that have been put in place over the last year, year and a half. You know, that's a good point you make. The debt is growing faster than the economy is growing. It, you know, it's unsustainable over time. We need to deal with it sooner the better. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, if you look at total debt as a share of our gross domestic product, total economic output, it's over 100%, nearly 130% of GDP. How are you going to fund that increase in debt? Well, you, in, you issue new debt, right? And if you issue new debt, that could push up interest rates. Um, or if the Fed wants to keep interest rates lower than otherwise, then they will print more money, which puts more money in the economy. More money in the economy chasing too few goods is the definition of inflation. And it's a, the reason why we have the 40-year high in inflation now. Now, this is unsustainable. It's not just high inflation, but it's also that inflation-adjusted average hourly, earning, hourly earnings are now 4% down. They've, they've dropped by 4% over the last year, which is the lowest, is the slowest growth we've had in at least 15 years. So this is really hurting workers, whether they have jobs or not. How did the debt get so big? You know, in February, the debt surpassed $30 trillion for the first time. How do we get here? Well, the way I like to put it is, Deficits and debt are always and everywhere a government spending problem. We don't have a revenue problem. We have a spending problem. And, and look, this has been um, across administrations. It's been across different Congresses where Congress has the power of the purse. Um, and even when I was in the Trump administration, we tried to find ways to reduce the deficits over time. Because just an increasing interest rates alone adds you know, a substantial amount to the increase in debt over time because of the increase of spending of interest payments. And it's something we've got to get control or it's going to continue to crowd out not only the budget, but the entire economy. And it's something that we can't afford as Americans. Yeah, you mentioned the economy. The amount of national debt directly affects Americans' day-to-day -day lives, does it not? Like, for example, it affects the level of benefits, services Americans get from the government. You know, at the same time, servicing the U.S. debt will cost taxpayers over $8 trillion of the 10-year budget window. Vance, tell us how the national debt affects people's lives. Well, you're, you're, you're right on, and it really does affect people's lives. I mean, if you look at the national debt, which has increased by $6 trillion just in the last two years, that's a 25% increase to $30.5 trillion, that, that means that Every man, woman, and child across America owes $91,000 on average, $91,000. So if you're making $45,000 a year, that's two years of your salary. You know, and it also affects people's mortgage payments. Interest rates on mortgages have, have about doubled over the last year, and that means that mortgage payments, the monthly payment, has went up by about 50% on average, and many people can't afford that. So unfortunately, many people are going to begin to lose their homes, which oftentimes is the only asset that they have to pass on to future generations. And so this hits people in so many ways across the economy. Well, it's a serious issue. Let's talk about how we can resolve it. Do we only have two options? You know, increase taxes on the American people or reduce spending? Well, those are the two big ones, right? Um, what we've done so far is we keep spending and issuing new debt. Um, but you're right. Other ways they could do it is raise taxes, which is difficult politically. But historically speaking, the best way to do this is to cut government spending, at least cut the growth of government spending. I mean, if we looked at the last 20 years, there was about $20 trillion added in new national debt. Um, but if we had just matched pop, uh, spending with population growth and inflation over that same period, 
we would have a surplus of $3 trillion. That's a $23 trillion swing over that period by just slowing the growth rate of government spending. doesn't even mean cutting it. It just means slowing the growth rate so that we can still fund you know, key core government provisions like national defense like the justice system and some of the other things that are out there. It's not a huge, you know, sort of catastrophic situation like some people would argue. It's really about just slowing the growth of government spending. Vance Ginn, Chief Economist, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thanks again. Thank you. On Wall Street, stocks tumbled today as investors took in the inflation data. The Dow fell 209 points or seven-tenths of a percent. The S&P dropped 17 points, or half a percent, and the Nasdaq lost 17 points, or two-tenths of a percent. Google is cutting back on hiring for the rest of the year. It's the latest in a trend of tech firms either slowing hiring or laying off staff. CEO Sundar Pichai told employees everyone needs to work with greater urgency, sharper focus, and more hunger than they've shown on sunnier days. Pichai says Google will focus on hiring critical roles, such as in engineering, saying that, quote, scarcity breeds clarity. This comes after Microsoft also says it's laying off staff, though only less than 1% of its workforce. Delta Airlines stock fell over 4% today after reporting lower-than-expected profit for the second quarter. This is its biggest quarterly profit since the start of the pandemic. But investors expected more with the strong travel demand. U.S. carriers are enjoying the strongest summer travel season in three years. Meanwhile, they're also facing higher fuel costs and worker shortages after letting go of thousands of pilots during the pandemic. Delta is no exception. It had to cancel 3.5 percent of scheduled flights last month. Airline shares have been battered in recent weeks, with a looming recession and concerns that higher fares will hit demand. Delta, however, said it has not seen any significant pullback. Summer travelers are facing mounting flight cancellations, delays and other chaos at airports across the globe. The aviation industry is still trying to rebuild staff levels following the pandemic. A former FAA official says the disruption could last through this summer. Kenneth Quinn is a former chief counsel of the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA. He says that behind the mass travel disruptions at U.S. airports is a staffing issue plaguing the entire aviation industry. There are shortages throughout the entire system, uh, from air traffic control to pilots to baggage handlers to ticket agents to you name it, including TSA and the pre-check system. So. The shortage is real. One of the problems with uh, the controllers is that they're letting them go for 10 days after they test positive for COVID, where CDC is letting them, you know, instructions to come back after five days. Quinn says the FAA has a staffing crisis and they need to take the blame for making the situation worse. He says he thinks the Secretary of Transportation and the FAA administrator need to be focused on the issue. And pilot strikes took a toll as well. The Airline Pilots Association around the world, many of them are, are not happy with the situation today. Many of them feel like it's not a staffing shortage issue. It's a pay issue and a benefits issue. At the same time, the regional carriers in the world that feed into the hub networks of the larger carriers can't hold on to pilots. An airline trade group said last month that U.S. airlines have cut about 15 percent of planned summer flights. Quinn says this is going to be a very difficult time for air travel and that the situation will probably get worse before it gets better.
It's going to be certainly through the end of August and through the Labor Day period. Usually it gets a little bit better at the end of September uh, and, and then there's a low end of September, October, and until we build to holiday time period. And of course it gets crazy again at Christmas and Thanksgiving and other holidays around the world. So it's going to be a difficult time. Meanwhile, in the UK, the head of a body representing Global Airlines hit out at new restrictions at London's Heathrow on Tuesday. Willie Walsh, director general of the International Air Transport Association, says the airport had underestimated the speed of the recovery. Inflation is also hitting chocolate makers. The originally expected cocoa demand grows some 2.5 percent this year, but now they're seeing growth of just 1 percent. Entity's Sean Marshall has more. Consumers are cutting back on chocolate due to the cost of living troubles in Europe and the United States. According to new data and comments from executives at the world's biggest chocolate companies, Hannah Lloyd works at a chocolate kiosk and has noticed some changes. We raised our prices kind of in like March, and since then people have been wanting more like single pieces, the smaller like bouchers and such, um, some of the bars and definitely the gesture boxes as opposed to like our more like classic coffre assorted boxes. No industry growth is expected next year if inflation persists and the Russia-Ukraine war continues, traders and experts say. Lloyd says she doesn't think inflation has impacted business, but they attract a special type of customer. Since our chocolate is a bit more upscale, um, a lot of our customers tend to be in like higher tax brackets, I guess. So they still do buy like the $180 boxes and like stuff like that. There's not a huge difference. Inflation isn't the only thing that affects the chocolate business. Yeah, in the summertime, people are don't really want to buy chocolate because they're just gonna they're afraid that it's gonna melt and it just it doesn't really work out well this is, tends to be like all chocolate stores slow seasons Cadbury milk bars sold in the UK are now smaller the company CEO Dirk Vanderput said last month at a conference the company is doing everything that's in its power to prepare for a potentially a consumer that reacts to price hikes and an economic recession including investing in advertising Sean Marshall NTD News. Things also seem to be slowing down for electric car maker Rivian. The startup is looking to cut down on staff after expanding too quickly. The company, backed by Ford, is having issues securing parts and meeting production goals amid the supply chain shortage. Rivian now has plans to lay off about 5% of its 14,000 workers, which it hired mostly in the past year. Electric car giant Tesla also announced plans to lay off about 10% of its salaried jobs. With the hype over electric cars, why aren't more Americans transitioning? Entities Phil Zoe has that answer. Lamborghini, Ferrari, Mercedes, and more. Car brands of all types have either released or are planning to release electric car lines of their own. So why haven't more Americans switched over to electric cars? They see these vehicles as expensive. The average cost of a new electric car is around $56,000, while the average cost of a new gas power car is only $25,000, less than half the cost, according to Kelly Blue Book. But Richard Reyna, director of product training at CarID.com, says buyers save more money in the long run by going electric. Taking away the traditional gas-powered drivetrain, you're saving money on no longer there being a need to do oil changes, tune-ups, and similar maintenance. What are other reasons why buyers are not switching to electric? 
Chris Robinson, who researches electric cars at innovative firm Lux Research, says there just aren't enough electric charging stations right now. There have been some issues with things like station maintenance. A lot of stations, you know, as they, they might break, um, are, are slow to be repaired. So the, the infrastructure experience right now is not ideal. While adoption is slow, our experts believe it's going to happen eventually. It's really just a question of, of how fast will we see uh, infrastructure deployed to support them and how fast will consumers adopt them. It's no longer a question of if. Everything from PCs to smartphones, the adaptation takes time. And as people become more educated and see those benefits, we will see them embrace this electric vehicle as the future. According to Consumer Reports, after surveying around 8,000 Americans, other reasons for not buying electric cars include the number of miles a car can go per charge and not knowing what financial incentives there are for owning an electric car. Phil Zoe, NTD News. Still to come, Amazon's Ring says it gave the government a record amount of video footage and other information last year after receiving thousands of legal demands. Illinois renaming and rebranding an invasive fish that threatens the Great Lakes region, giving it an appetizing marketing. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Amazon-owned Ring says it gave authorities a record amount of video footage and other information in 2021. The company manufactures video doorbells and security cameras. It said it received more than 3,000 legal demands in 2021. That's up 65% from the year before. More than 85% of the legal demands were search warrants. Ring can give authorities user information and video content when responding to search warrants. Ring said it notified nearly 650 users last year that law enforcement had asked for their information. The company says it notifies users before handing over user information, but that Ring has also given user information to authorities at least 11 times this year without user permission. Amazon says it shared the information under emergency circumstances. If you had an unpleasant experience at a hotel recently, you're not alone. A new survey says many travelers are less happy with their stays away from home. Researchers say costs and fees are the main issue upsetting consumers. The index also reported that Ritz-Carlton is the top-ranked hotel for the second year in a row. Hard Rock Hotels came in the runner-up slot, also for two years running. Asian carp has a bad reputation in the Midwest. It's devastated rivers there for decades, and now it's threatening the Great Lakes. In June, the state of Illinois launched a new initiative to combat the invasive fish. Here's a story. You know, Asian carp is really a beautiful fish. Hello, Kopi. Nice to eat you. Last month, the state of Illinois launched a campaign to rebrand the invasive Asian carp to Kopi, 
introducing the fish as a food fish. The goal is to reduce the overpopulation of Asian carp and prevent them from invading the Great Lakes region. Kevin Irons, assistant chief of fisheries at the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, explained why Asian carp were brought to the U.S. Asian carp are the most cultured fish in the world for food and benefit fish farming by reducing nuisance plankton, algae, plants, and snails without chemicals, which is why they were first brought to the U.S. Asian carp refer to big head, grass, and silver carp and were imported from China to the U.S. in the 1970s. John Goss, former White House invasive carp advisor, said some Asian carp escaped from fish farms and devastated rivers in the Midwest. An Asian carp eats half its weight every day, and they eat the same food as our native fish. The female Asian carp produces about a million eggs a year, reproducing faster than any of our natives. This creates a huge river ecosystem problem. Asian carp is high in omega-3 and 6 fatty acids and rich in protein, second only to wild salmon. Because it's a top-feeding wild fish that eats primarily plankton and vegetation, it essentially has no mercury or lead. James Schaefer, general manager of Schaefer Fisheries, is astonished that no one is eating Asian carp. We're the only country that does not eat Asian carp. Around the world, this fish is accepted protein source. The new name for Asian carp is kopi, short for copious. Abundance in quantity and nutrients. Paul Verant, owner and chef of Gaijin Chicago, plans to introduce smoked kopi in the Osaka style, okonomiyaki, a Japanese savory cabbage pancake. We're adding smoked kopi into the batter that consists of cabbage, scallions, egg, some wheat flour, uh, dashi, tempura flakes, ginger, um, and then it's cooked on our, our griddle here at Gaijin. Graham Essex is trying out the Kopi cabbage pancake for the first time. It's really quite lovely. It's like all of these elements come together really beautifully. The Kopi, quite fantastic. If Asian carp invade the Great Lakes area, they'll pose a significant threat to the region's $7 billion fishing industry. ChooseKopi.com lists markets and restaurants where Kopi is available. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. Ever bought a tuna sandwich from Subway? The sandwich chain says it's 100% tuna. But some people think that claim is a little fishy. Last year, two people filed a lawsuit in California, saying Subway's tuna partially or wholly lacks tuna as an ingredient and that it's actually other types of fish. Subway pushed back, saying that the non-tuna DNA could be from eggs in the mayonnaise, or the result of cross-contact with other ingredients. But the judge in the case isn't completely buying it, saying Tuesday it's too soon to accept that argument, and the lawsuit against Subway can move forward. Did you know one European company prints the majority of the world's paper money? And it seems there's still a future for banknotes, despite all the digital payments we're seeing today. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Koenig and Bauer's machines play some part in the printing of nearly 90% of the world's banknotes. Banknotes are used for transactions, but banknotes are also used for a lot of other things which are safety, because people want to have certain safety, so they put banknotes on the side. Production levels of paper money are increasing, despite the rise of online payments, digital currencies, and contactless ways to pay. 
And you have worldwide approximately 1.5 billion people which do not have bank accounts, which are more or less forced to use banknotes. Uh, developing countries uh, is, are using a lot of banknotes. The world population increases. The economy is going forward, and that's all additional banknotes. The company's machines are used by virtually every country in the world, helping to produce U.S. dollars, Swiss francs, euros, and other currencies. For us, the use of banknotes it has a big future, and we see today these 2 to 5% increase per year, and we predict that it will be still for the next 10 or 15 years. The business is now part of Germany's Koenig & Bauer Group, which established itself in Lausanne in 1952. It now employs 140 people. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.